This episode of the Impulse Forum is brought to you by Balance 7. Balance 7 offers a revolutionary pH balancing nutritional supplement and skincare products. For more information and to connect with Dr. Noor Stani, visit balance7.com. That's balance7.com, where your body wants to be. Find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life is one of my favorite sayings. Um, You're going to spend a lot of time at work in the future. Really investigate what you want to do. If you think you want to do something, you better try it. You're listening to The Impulse Forum, where imagination, education, and inspiration meet to create enterprise. All right, so hello and welcome again to all the Impulse Chasers out there. I'm the Impulse Director and your host, Kevin Colton. Today, I have another great guest and a special guest for me considering how long I've known this guy. Robert Oliver is the CTE Design, Visual, and Media Arts Instructor at Central Coast New Tech High in Napomo, teaching sophomores, juniors, and seniors innovative and diverse marketable skills such as graphic design, Digital art, photography, 3D, photogrammetry. How do I say that? Photogrammetry. Photogrammetry, filmmaking, videography, and how to live stream local events. And he teaches computer skills such as Adobe Creative Cloud, Photoshop, and Illustrator, which is students use to learn and create graphic design projects, such as brand development and logo design, as well as developing marketing strategies and sales pitches for local businesses. His students learn how to initiate and execute group projects, evaluate and critique brand concepts, research and develop new innovative ideas, and use visual arts to communicate, educate, propose, and persuade potential new customers for their business. Mr. Oliver spent most of his adult career as a freelance and staff photographer for numerous sports and media publications throughout the world. He got his teaching credential in 2008 and joined New Tech High in 2017, and that is why... We are very happy to have Mr. Robert Oliver on today's show. Welcome to the Impulse Forum, Mr. Oliver. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I was thinking about it today. We go back a ways. I th- it's actually 40 years this yeah. year. In 1980, when we were in the same sixth grade class, which is kind of North Oceano Elementary, not even a school name anymore. That's right. Not even, <laughs> that's right. It's now Fairview. It's not even there. But Mr. Usselton, he was a great sixth grade teacher, which Heck I was yeah. thinking about a lot how much... You know, we had a good influence, and uh, yeah, he, and was, then he, he was one of the teachers that I remember from my early days. There's a lot forgot, but there's some certain teachers stuck with you, and Usselton was one. And then here you are now. Yeah. So uh, we ran in different circles in high school, but I remember seeing you about sophomore year, I think, showing up around AGHS, always with a camera in hand, taking pics for, was it yearbook? Yearbook, photography classes. So I was pretty lucky. So when I was... Five or six years old, my mom set up a dark room in the bathroom of our house. And I fell in love with photography in the bathroom at my house when I was like six years old. And ever since that point, I kind of always wanted to be a photographer. Wow. So once I got to high school, I was able to take, you know, photo classes every year. I was the only freshman, I think, the first one allowed in yearbook. It was generally a junior, senior class, but kind of Mike Sears kind of took me under his wing and was like, all right, this kid's got some passion. Right. I wasn't the best student. I think he used that as like a little carrot in front of me to keep me right. out of special, you know, out of the the bad guy classes. Right. So it was like, you you pass your classes, you can stay in this class kind of a deal. So uh, oh, a lot to Mike Sears for that one. That was pretty cool. 
Wow. So yeah, through high school, I got to take pictures all four years and I kind of quit playing sports so I could take pictures more. So. Right. Cause you were doing football. Yeah. We did soccer together, yep. I think. Yep. And, um, yeah, so you, so it became yeah. a driving passion in your life. Yeah, and in our sophomore year, um, Joe Dickerson was hired. So I never got to work with Tom Fisher. We were kind of talking about that. Right. A I did a little bit, but like Joe Dickerson was hired and he was one of the first people in my life that kind of showed me that I could do this. Like I, people in my life were telling me, this is a dumb idea. Don't be a photographer. You're not going to make any money. But then Joe Dickerson showed up and was like, no, you could do this. You got, you got talent. You, could you do, talked you know. about that a couple of days yeah. ago in the class. Like, what were you, what was your family? Who, what were their careers? Like, who was telling you that this is a dumb so idea? Different family members, not to throw anybody under the bus, yeah, but yeah, right. I just, I mean, like they had business jobs and, you know, truck drivers and, and skills That's like that. And so there wasn't really that thought of being an artist. That wasn't right. really something that you did. Right. Um, I don't think there's any artists in my family. Yeah. But it was like that whole time, it was like, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I yeah. was meant to do. That's what I'm going to do. Um, and wow. so luckily I had people in my life at the high school level that were able to steer me in that direction. And once again, they were still telling me this is a bad idea. You know, if you're going to do this, you better be good. You better really work hard. And I, I you know, kind of picked those up early on. Even so. your teachers were saying that? Well, I mean, it was still like being an artist is not a great way to get rich. Right. right. And so, you know, they're still telling you, it's like, right. Okay, this is not the best way to make money, but if you've got to do this, this is how you're going to do it. Right. And and I still like I Joe Dickerson is still a mentor to me today. Um, I still will go get together and have lunch, talk business, and um, it was you know it's just been that lifelong relationship I've had with him. Um, I've had wow. a few teachers like that over the years that I've been able to stay connected with a little bit. But Joe Dickerson would be the main one. I mean, he's I credit him with a lot. So and so. Okay, so you're you you're got a driving passion, and that guided you sophomore, junior, senior. So it kind of kept you what on the straight and narrow as far as grades and um, on the like. You had something to yeah, do. Or our high school counselor was literally it's like you could have photography classes every semester if you pass math. Right. As long as you pass, you know, if you if you fail math, I'm gonna have to take you out and put in math support. So pass your math keep in photography. And so that was enough incentive for me to like bust, you know, tail on math to get through it. Right. So yeah, and that was like that carrot in front of me. I think, you know, through high school, that was like, let's keep, keep so going. I'll have to bring it in. Um, I have the uh, yearbook for our senior year and we pulled these out because we were trying to find you <laughs> um, if you were in the same photography class as my wife was. Um, yeah. So we were looking at, there was a picture of the yearbook, and I don't know if you were in this one, but it's the teacher's got the gun. Yep, Mr. Steelhead. Oh my gosh, that <laughs> yeah, wouldn't fly. We joked these about days. that here. It was like, yeah, if we did a yearbook staff photo here, we could not do that. Yeah, he was in the. We were in the in the dunes. He was dressed up like a big game hunter and on a safari in Africa, and, targeting students. And there's students that are dying begging for their the life. <laughs> yes, not going to happen in the next photo. Yeah, no, they're running up the hill, and he had a take. real gun. It was. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there's things we couldn't do in today's. Oh, that's <laughs> classroom so all right so i remember that well <laughs> and i think there were points he actually did want to kill us so <laughs> <laughs> things times have changed yep. so okay so you're so you graduate high school so what was your first uh how did you get into this like what was you said freelance work did you start out as a freelance photographer or did so you get I, hired somewhere i went straight to cuesta college and okay. i took every single photo class they had there and journalism class so uh, mary mccorkle was my journalism advisor and then pat walsh my photography teacher at cuesta really got me to the next level technically and mm. i felt bad because like every night at the end of the day he was just like 
okay, Robert, I got to go home. You got to get out of here. You got to get out of the dark room. Cause I was just, just, that's all I did was just photography. Like one more print, Pat, one more print. And then, you know, so him and I were able to bond rest in peace, Pat. Um, he was another one of the guys that I really credit with a lot, but so yeah, I did, I took everything they had at quest to college. I wasn't really interested in math, science, and English. I didn't take, I didn't really pass any of those classes. I was just there for the photography. And then I one day I, you know, I was, I was living in a Tascadero waiting tables up there and I walked into the Tascadero News and told the editors like, hey, I think I could help make your publication better. Give me a chance. I'll work for free. Can I do an internship? And so he said, I have a job opening for a reporter. Can you write? I'm like, sure. So he gave me a test assignment and um, I went out and covered the first defibrillator in the county and came back with my story. has misspelled the word defibrillator. <laughs> There's an like accent on the R in there. Um but still was able to prove that I could write enough, which is kind of funny because I wasn't a writer. Um, but that's how I got my first job as a photographer was writing my own stories at the Tascadero News. So, And from there, I just kind of kept just and, – and used every opportunity of that paper to photograph every sport I could get, every event. So even if I wasn't assigned to that, I would go on my own time, go out and photograph football games and whatever event was going on. So that was my start. And did you uh... – as a freelance, did you kind of set your own time? Like, well, how did that? Yeah, work that out? was. I was just a staff photographer or, or a staff reporter. Okay, I got to cover. I mean, I, I I covered one of the first. I think I covered the first drunk driving murder conviction in Slow County. Oh wow! Um, as a reporter, that also shot photos in the court trial. But from there, I was I was on staff, so I just was paid six bucks an hour. I was super excited. It was like twice minimum wage at that point. Wow! To go out and shoot photos, and then. At the same time, I started freelancing for other publications. I took a picture of a horse catching a Frisbee while I was there. And I was able to sell that internationally. Like that, I got calls from like a paper in London. One of those like tabloid weeklies from London called and they wanted that picture. So I was able to sell that to a couple. I sold it in New Zealand and England. And that kind of got me understanding that like, whoa, there's a bigger market out there. And then I also started shooting triathlon. I covered the Wildflower Triathlon as just for a weekend Fun job. I gave it to the paper, but I started sending photos to the triathlon magazines. And then next thing I know, they were hiring me and sending me to Chicago for events. And it just all kind of blew up from there. But it all just came from that hustle of, you know, every spare minute I had, I was spare minute I had, I would just rush out and shoot every event I could just with the idea of like just getting better, practicing. So did you at some point move away, like uh, take a job somewhere else? Or did yeah. you, you mention something about a magazine? So I moved around. So I worked for the, I went to the Times Special Quarter in Oro Grande. Oh, so I was right. a staff photographer That's there. Another, now is the is the newspaper still in Atascadero? Is that still around? Because the Times Press Recorder. Atascadero News still does publish, I believe. Okay, because Times Press Recorder. It might only be an online version of it, but there's still Atascadero News. Yeah, Times Press Recorder, they were bought up and then I think kind of folded. Yeah. Um. And then I went to New Times. I was New Times' first staff photographer. Really? So I was the first photographer they had hired. So what, what years are we talking about now? 1990? That would have been 94 when I went to New Times, as I think about it. So I'd, I'd been a couple years at the Tascadero News, a couple years at the Times Press Recorder, and then I was at the New Times for, I think, a year, and then got a job offer as the photo editor of Velo News, which is like the world's largest cycling publication, and Inside Triathlon. So I became their photo editor, staff photographer, and that, boom, really blew up then, so... And that yeah, was that was in Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado, right. So that was what lured me away from the Central Coast. And how long were you there? Uh gosh, I think I was there for four years, three or four years. Did and you then, move right back to the uh California no, or did um, you guys so from I ended up being at the job at Velo News, I think, for two years. 
and at the same time, um, got married and had a kid. And then when my wife got pregnant, it was kind of decided as like, I can't try. I was traveling extensively. I was on the road 30 weekends a year. So like I was flying somewhere 30 weeks, 30 times a year and kind of figured out I need to do, be at home more for my kids. And my, my wife had a kid already within, from previous marriage, but then we also had a daughter. And so it kind of became this decision to like be better with my family. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Be on the road more. So then, yeah. So I, I still retained a contract with that magazine and, and photographed for them. But then about a year later, I, I became the staff photographer at Triathlete Magazine, and they were based in San Diego. And so we moved That's down to San Diego. Back yeah. to California. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So formative experiences doing all that work, um, like some of the things that have shaped your work convictions your conv- or whatever convictions yeah. are just like things that have happened to you, wins and losses. Like talk about some of the ups and downs of, of all of that, or was it a straight line up or what? I can like, consider myself really blessed because I've been able to see the world with my, like I I love photography and photography took me around the world. And like, to me, I consider myself extremely blessed. And I, I could only hope that one of my students gets the same opportunities I had. Okay, so so what you you uh, getting back to convictions? You got to go all over the world, yeah. and uh, so it's been a career that what? Not a lot of ups and downs. Just kind of. I'm pretty ple- I'm pretty satisfied with where I went. I at the back of my mind, I always wanted to become a teacher at the end of this thing. Oh, um, really? And okay. as the economy crashed in 2008, I was kind of burning out on being a photographer. As far as I love taking pictures, but the business side of it was like just the Photoshopping. And that was like, I don't know if, you know, 2000 is when the industry kind of switched to digital. Right. And I remember we got brought into Canon's offices in Irvine, California, and um, they introduced this new camera, the Canon 1D. And remember the the top, one of the engineers just like, this camera is going to change your life. Your your life's going to get better. You're going to like be able to make more money. You're going to have more downtime and stuff. And it was the exact opposite. Our We became mouse jockeys at that point. I mean, as we became Photoshop technicians. And I was already scanning from the field and transmitting photos around the world. But a lot of my work involved getting my film processed at wherever I was at and then putting it into a FedEx envelope and then being done. And then all of a sudden, when digital photography hit, all of a sudden, we became Photoshop experts and digital photography experts. And we were doing all the editing from the field. Clients wanted stuff quicker. So like gone was the next day deadline. And all of a sudden, everybody wanted photos same day. And this is also at the, you know, the blow up of the internet when we were starting doing live event coverage, um, using digital cameras that we could start sending photos out. It was quite a bit. So I, I think I burned out on the, the, the computer side of it. Um, and also if like any professional photographer is going to tell you, maybe 3% of their time is spent photographing. The rest of the time is spent editing, transmitting, marketing, trying to make the money side of it. So I think I hit a little burnout around that, around 2004. I kind of started looking for outs. And then when the economy crashed in 2008, it was, and I think the travel thing, I was kind of burning out on the travel. But well, yeah, when the economy crashed in 2008, I quickly found myself like going, ooh, this idea of teaching was always there. And so that's when I got my teaching credentials. So talk so, about that. Why Why teaching? Is it because of the influence that your guys had? Yeah, exactly. I had a couple people in my life that took this kind of lost little kid that was wandering around the Central Coast surfing and really not doing much and teaching me that I could turn my passion for photography into a career. And as I said, I'm still in contact with with some of these, you know, educators that had a huge impact on my life. And I've always wanted to 
be able to do that for somebody else. And it's a cool thing to watch kids realize their dreams. And once again, not, and I don't want to make it sound like, you know, parents are ruining their kids by telling them they can't do this, but there's some kids that are meant to do this. And I hopefully I'm there to help them find that route to it. I still tell them it's a dumb idea. Like this is the worst career choice you could ever make, but if you have to do it, this is how you're going to do it. So you've talked a little bit about your uh, influencers and mentors that helped along the way. Um, what about people that along the way that you, you kind of like your you had that interde- interdependent dreams like that like you wind up meeting with people of like minds. Like, did you have yeah. any of those kind of people along I the way? I found a couple of people. Rich Cruz is a photographer who's still working now. And I remember him taking me under his wing when I was young, mostly because I came in. And I think as he described it, I was really talented and I was giving my stuff away for free, which is ruining his business. And so he took me under his wing of just like, you know, instead of just like trying to shut me down, he taught me. He's like, wow, you're selling these photos for 50 bucks. You could be selling this for a thousand. I'm like, mm. whoa. Okay. So I had him as a mentor, like kind of guiding me in. That's um, huge. Yeah. And we're still, you know, still <laughs> yeah. in contact today. Um, yeah. I've had a few people like that. Um, Graham Watson was a famous cycling photographer that took me under his wing and like taught me a lot about the business and the trade and stuff. Um, was this locally or? Uh, he's like from England. Way? He's like one of the top cycling photographers in the world. So, but yeah, there's been a few of these guys over the years. Deli Carr from Australia. Um, I worked with his agency and, you know, learned a lot from him. He's one of the, still one of the top photograph- sports photographers in the world. He's won a few huge awards and um, so, yeah, those are kind of some of the guys that I've been able to work with along the way. Some of the guys from Sports Illustrated, Robert Beck, got a lot of information out of him. So I'd always, like, work with these guys and always try to get more information out of them, try to learn. Were they uh, competitive or were they free with their information? How, how were, It's did funny, you have they're to, free with information, you, but it is it is a very competitive field. Like, you know, when you go to the Olympics, there's a thousand photographers out there and everyone's trying to— w- outwork the other guy for that famous shot or the best shot. And any event like that, we're always competing against each other. And that was one of my favorite memories with Deli Carr and Rich was like, we'd end up using the same lab at the Ironman World Championships in Hawaii. And, you know, throughout the night as we're editing, it's like, we're like, ooh, look at this one. Ooh, look at this one. And we're trying to outdo each other on the light tables in the, in the, in the photo lab. But then also, you know, like you're, the, the ultimate competition is like the cover photo. It's like, who gets the cover? Who's, you know, whose photos are going to run the biggest, you know? So it was even even more so than the money. It was just that, like, who's going to get their photos played more prominently? That became the kind of the competition. But So mm. in 2008, you're kind of going to make a career change. How long did it take to you to take you to go back to school and get your credential? Or we, did you, had you already had your four years? Or did no, you, you so have to it's go kind back of funny. And, so I had, in 2007, um, my wife and I decided that it was a great time for me to go back to school. We, we, the, the photo industry started to get impacted with the economy crash a year before. Like, advertising budgets were drying up quick. I kind of found myself working way harder for too little money. So, like, once I started, like, analyzing my profit and going, wow, I only made, like, $20,000 profit this year. I could do anything and make more than $20,000. And it's like, Ooh, yeah. and the amount of work you're, you're you know, traveling yeah. around the world and the risk. Um, so I decided to go back to school. So I did a year, two years worth of community college in a year because I had really only my photography credits from Cuesta back in the old days. So I went back to Palomar College in San Diego County and did 70 units in a year, um, busted through, got accepted into Cal State San Marcos where I was going to get a communications degree. And that was when I got the call from my wife just saying, um, yeah, all that money we saved for college is gone because that was right when the economy crashed. And it was like, and so I, crap, I need a job. I looked, there happened to be a job at San Diego High School teaching part-time photography. 
and I only needed an AA degree. Wow. And so I applied and I was in the classroom two days later with (laughs) no idea what I was doing, just, you know, classes full of 30 plus kids and go. And that you got to work your, like earn your credential after you started teaching. So I started teaching before I even, my head was still spinning when I I got that first, that first assignment. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I teach career technical education and what I love about CTE is they really work on bringing industry people into classrooms. So God, you know, bless the teachers that, you know, go come out of high school and decide they want to be teachers. Um, CTE teachers are generally industry professionals that come back to teach afterwards. And so every one of these CTE classes should have an industry professional in there running it. And so that's the idea they take that my experience as a photographer professionally, it meets or exceeds what someone could learn in the classroom. And so, in my opinion, I think it exceeds. You know, I think you know, you, could, you there's a lot that you learn in on the road <laughs> and in the field that translates to learning for kids. Absolutely. So. Well, I think that that's one of the the convictions I was wondering about. Like, how do you, how does your life experience working all those years? How do you how does that translate when you're teaching in the yeah. class? You know, as far as um, how does that shape what you Share well, it with the students. I'm sure you remember. So like when we were in high school, that was when they introduced the ROP program. And ROP is CTE. They morphed the name of it, but it's the exact same thing. Industry professionals teaching classes that are designed to get you straight from high school to a career. Um, we call it, you know, college and career technical education now because it's like we want to get you into college or a trade school or a career. Um, yeah, that was that whole idea. Is like, And I always gravitated to the people that had that real-world experience. Joe Dickerson was the owner of a successful photography studio and was one of the top wedding photographers in the world at the time. He was writing for wedding magazines and Shutterbug magazine. And so having a real photographer teaching me was just all of a sudden— and he was literally just like showed us the commercial way to do things. you know. And I've, I've run into a lot of photography teachers that teach the art side of it, which is all and great, but how do you make money with it? How do I pay the bills? And that's where he was— was teaching. Right. And and this is all at AGHS High School, which back in the day, uh, I think this something some of those um, those classes have gone away, like engine yeah. overhaul. Yeah. You know, I remember taking engine overhaul in high school and I was like, this is this is incredible to have that experience. And if and if that kind of uh, those kind of programs go away, you know, you're left with a lot of um we are learning self-esteem and, you know, you're learning all these things that it's like, but how do you translate these general ed classes into real world? Yeah, we have a classmate that teaches automobile technology at Aragorn High School. Um, it was, we've been friends with him forever. Um, and so it's kind of cool running into him, like seeing classmates at AG. They still have a good automo- automobile program. And when we went there, there was literally two parts to the campus. There was the college prep side and there's the vocational ed side. You either... Took woodshop electronics with Mr. Littleton um, or auto shop or woodshop with Finn. You know, yeah. it's like you had all these teachers there. They were all amazing people or yeah. you had college prep. Right. And at some point we kind of lost that idea and had this great idea, this genius idea that everybody should go to college, which I do not believe in. I believe that some kids are just not designed to go to college. They're designed to work. And we need those trades. We need all those jobs filled. And I think we lost track of that in education. I think the push with CTE now is kind of coming back towards that. Let's get kids some gifts. I'm like, we have some amazing, you know, ag department classes over here at Napomo High School. You know, we have an entrepreneurship program here at Central Coast New Tech High. And I think there's a lot of kids that are served by those programs that 
you you try to cram calculus down their throats all day, they're not going to. It's just not going to resonate with them. It's not where not everybody's going to be a scientist. You know, right? There's people that are going to weld. You know, yep. fix tractors for a living, and we need that. And do really well. Yeah. Yeah. And do well. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, college is not the answer for every single person. I think that's a huge mistake we've made in education. At this time, we'd like to welcome our new monthly mentor sponsor, Dr. John Pruitt with Pruitt Vision in Grover Beach and the Vision Center of Santa Maria. I've been a patient of Dr. Pruitt for years. Since 2003, I've never been disappointed. His staff is always kind and helpful, and they always steer me in the right direction, picking out the best frames. Book your next eye appointment with the good doctor at PruittVisionCare.com. That's PruittVisionCare.com. So, okay, so let's talk a little bit about what keeps you motivated, what keeps you inspired and going to fulfill your vision. I've watched the the dynamics of the class. I know that you seem to be thriving still. Working around kids keeps you young. I love it. And so, yeah, I don't know what it is. I... I created the class that I think I would have wanted to take in high school. Um, so this wasn't prescribed for you? No. This is my class. I I took over a program that had done some things over the years, and I came in, I just made it my own. Um, and I've done that the last couple of places. I, I was t- I last taught at a last chance high school um, in Hemet, California. And it was a rough place, and it was an amazing experience. Um, I loved, you know, working with those kids. Um, and when I got hired here at New Tech, it was that same thing. It's just like, I'm going to teach me. I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to teach what I like to teach. I'm going to create the class that I would have wanted to take. And a lot of that is that choice. I hated being told I had to do this one thing when I had my own ideas. Like, you know, that was my thing in high school is like I would get bored so easy and challenge me. Let me come up with my own ideas. And, you know, and that I kind of teach off this mantra of like I try to teach the kids how to think, not what to think. Amen. Yeah. It's just, you know. <laughs> exactly. And that's, that's something that I've, I've run into like all around is just like kids don't necessarily know how to think when they get out of high school. Well, for example, you had, uh, I was watching you um, work with the one student about how he needs to put the lights away. Mm -hmm. But in the process, it's like, this is how you take the light apart without the other part dropping. Yeah. Uh, So you're actually teaching them how to think. Yeah, that was just basic. That was, that was the basic physics of a counterweight. When yeah. you have a counterweight on and you take the main weight off, the counterweight's going to yank back the other direction. So, and <laughs> it I forget a thing. the rest of us probably forget when you're not around kids who are sophomores. Yeah. It's like that's the process that's part of that you have to have yeah. patience for. That you have to that uh, you know. But that's what goes into right. not just learning how to run an Apple computer. You know. So my first year teaching mentor. So when I got hired to San Diego High School, I mean. I was in the classroom within two days. They assigned me with a senior teacher that was like, that took me through. And um, his style and my style were completely different. But he said one thing early on that just really stuck with me. And he's like, something that you take for granted, you know how to do, you've done it a million times. It's not even a thought for you is a learning experience for every kid or not every kid, but for most kids. And it was just like, that became this idea of just like, holy crud. Yeah, I know how to put a counterweight up and make sure it's not going to tip over. I understand that. But these kids have never been exposed to that. So this is a learning experience. So you have to teach all those little things. And that was, I think it helped me too, is like teaching inner city kids, um, the vocabulary is different. Like they don't, I could use the most simple words to me that just, I, I know exactly what they mean. And they might not come across to somebody who's learning English as a second language or just might be a little bit behind, you know, 
in those in those areas. So they might not have the vocabulary to, to understand the most basic terms I'm trying to say. So I started realizing I had to define the words I was using to to define something. Um, and once I learned to slow down that a little bit, that helped a lot too. But so uh, so we've been through a little pandemic for the last almost going on two years now. Do you have any? Um insights or takeaways as far as dealing with students or as an instructor? Yeah. I I think the biggest change that's made from my teaching is I started to ask, how are you doing a lot more? And really, and that was some of the feedback I got from as we went to the pandemic was like, wow, you know, thank you for asking. Yeah, I'm struggling right now. Because I mean, and that was like to think about like we had kids that weren't put in safer situations because they were kept at home. Um, not everybody's home life is great. And so some kids loved it. They got to sit in their their bed. They didn't have to change out of the pajamas. They got to play video games every second of the day while pretending to be in class. And there are other kids that didn't have good places. And and that was and that was just one of the things is like we, I had to remember that the kids were going through trauma. All of a sudden they were taken away from their friends. They were taken away from their social activities. They were taken away from sports. Everything just stopped. And we just put them in their rooms and expected them to like learn. And we at New Tech, our teachers, we like we're already online. When this thing hit, we were online, and we just kept going. And about a month into it, I, I think some of the parents were just like, "You guys need to slow down." And and that was what kind of got me. It was like, you know, okay, this is kind of weird. The next year coming back was when I started to really realize, it's like, wow, these kids are losing a lot. Our seniors are like our seniors before lost their graduation. They lost their senior trips. In this whole new group of seniors, they were losing their sports. They were losing, you know, it was, they, they lost a lot. And so just being able to look at, you know, look at the kids as like victims of a trauma because they truly were. I mean, they still are. I mean, like we, we yeah, keep, we're still, we're still coming out of it right. or in the process of figuring yeah. out the, just, the, so at New Tech, we're really big on event night. So we, with all of our big projects, we have a public audience at the end of it. So we want to put the kids in front of an audience where they have to present their ideas, their projects, their findings, their their creativity. And our seniors are just like, we've only had one event night in our four years here. And it's just like amazing to think about it because they were the last group that spent a whole year on campus. And they only really had like a freshman, our freshmen don't get as many event nights as we do as they get to like junior seniors. But yeah, they lost two years of any of those events. Um, so it's been kind of crazy, like how much our kids have lost. What about this? emotionally development and coming out? Like, so some of these yeah. kids were sixth graders. They skipped seventh or maybe they yeah. were going into seventh grade. They skipped there. And now they're coming into high school without all that. I or thought, did you see that? I thought that was going to be a lot worse. I was kind of predicting that our kids were going to come out of this not being able to concentrate. Like, we're, like I, I do see a problem with like with this constant stimulus that people are having trouble being able to hold a a thought for five minutes. I mean, it's just like where this short attention span theater is taking over. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I think our kids are hungry for school. Like really? I'm having yeah. the best year teaching I've ever had. I'm having the highest passing percentages. Not that like a lot of people fail my class, but like this semester so far, I only have one not passing grade and that'll be fixed. Um, I've never had a semester at any level where I don't have any kids failing. And I've had a lot of kids that are just like, I really... I didn't realize how much I I needed school. And they, mm. they needed that place to be able to come. And so with some kids, it was an actual motive to yeah. to, to totally engage. You don't know what you yeah what you got until it's gone type of a thing. I mean, I think we have a lot of kids that just really looked as like took it school for advantage, took it for for granted. So so 
in closing, yeah. uh, uh, what what do you what would you say? Like, what what's your message to? You know, I gave a, gave a couple different options, but what yeah. what do you what do you want to say to the students out there, or what do you want to you know? Find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life is one of my favorite sayings. Um, You're going to spend a lot of time at work in the future. Really investigate what you want to do. If you think you want to do something, you better try it. And that's something that schools, I don't think we do a good job of, is giving kids a chance to explore different careers. But if you think you want to work in a veterinary office, try to get a job shadow at one. Try to come in and spend some time, interview people. Figure out a way to experience that life before you invest four, six, eight years of school on it. But yeah, just really like really search. I th- it's one of my saddest things as a teacher is seeing kids that haven't figured out what they want to do. I was so lucky because I wanted to be a photographer from day one. I knew what I wanted to do. I was, I could, I could, I could it was a tangible goal that I, I was able to reach. And we have students that don't have any idea of what they want to do. They don't know what's out there to do. And that's something I wish we could do as better as as educators is help them explore different career options. I think that's why I love your class so much is that there are so many different, there's so many, uh, like you said, there's squirrels, like there's so many different uh, offshoots of whatever they are into to go off into. And one thing I I thought of after uh, sitting in your classes and talking about the impulse form and saying, well, find that talent, find that, invest in that skill. It doesn't mean that that's the only skill that you invest in. Right. Um, my daughter was really dedicated to uh, drama, but her third year she started doing pole vaulting. And it w- was really clear. It's like, when are you going to be able to do pole vaulting again in your life? Yeah. You know, because there comes a point when that's not an option anymore. And yeah. there's so many things in high school that it's there for you to do. Try something, put yeah. something down, take something up, you know, yeah. or do it all. And I agree, pole vaulting is a blast. I got to do it in high school. And it was a great experience. I'm try, I always try to push kids there. Yeah, I, once again, it's like, yeah, I want, one of my favorite things is when I get a kid that comes in here saying they want to be a photographer or a filmmaker and they start doing it and realizing they don't want to do it. I think that is so valuable because it's, we kind of, like, it's, it's funny. I always watch movies and how many movies do you see where the photographer is like the, the antagonist? Um the protagonist, what is, yeah. Um, but they're always like the photographer is a big part of like, it's such a romantic career. Right. And then people don't realize how much work it is. I mean, you better be ready to hustle. I mean, like I wasn't working 40 hour work weeks when I was a professional photographer. I was working 80 hour work weeks. I was traveling 30 weekends a year. I got to know Denver International Airport inside and out because I was there every single weekend. Um, Mm. Missing events with family and friends because I got stuck on a snowy tarmac somewhere, you know, it's just like, there's a lot of challenges, but at the same time, I, you know, if you love what you do, right. It becomes fun. So, so yeah, just, that's my biggest message. I have the kids, the kids need to explore and we as adults and educators, we need to make it easier for them to explore, to find what is out there. You know, if you love music, how can you, you know, you're not, you don't just have to be the guitarist on stage for a band. There's a hundred ways to make a living in the music industry. Um, and not all of them are the best intelligent decision as far as becoming rich, but I don't, I, I don't know, again, this might sound really cheesy, but I don't think you like, can measure wealth with the amount of money you make. I think, you know, experiences are so much more important and, you know, and just having that quality of life. I've, I know some rich people that are really miserable and I know some poor people that are really happy. 
Um, and you, I think it's what you value in life. That's like kind of the important thing. And if you, if you value your career, if you love it, I think you're going to be a happier person. So it kind of goes back to that really stupid joke. You know, it's like, I, I don't know if it's true, but like, you know, John Lennon's teacher asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. And he said, happy. And the teacher said, that's not the right answer. Mm. And he's like, yes, it is. And it's like that kind of idea is like, find something that makes you happy. So, well, thanks again, man, for coming yeah, in. What a great interview. I really appreciate it. Love to uh, reconnect and, and to hear your story. And I'm sure a lot of the students cool. are going to be stoked to hear from you as well. Yeah. Thanks for talking. That was great. The Impulse Forum is a production of Social Clicks Digital Marketing. To get your business dominating on the digital street, visit us online at socialclicks.com. That's socialklicks.com. Special thanks to our monthly mentor sponsors, Ed Carcary, General Manager of the Fuego Hot Hits at 97.1 FM in Santa Maria, and Dr. John Pruitt with Pruitt Vision of Grover Beach and the Vision Center of Santa Maria. This episode was written and directed by Kevin Colton and produced by Tim Motter. To become a sponsor of the Impulse Forum, visit us online at theimpulseforum.com. Now take the next step. Pursue the pulse today. Yeah.